after we would do the work on the farm, we'd come in and cook a meal together and it was definitely some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life. So I guess it's just the people that you least expect can actually have a huge effect on your cooking. So I felt really lucky to be able to experience cooking and sharing a meal at the place that it was grown. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. What guides a career in hospitality? Is it the right mentors, the right cuisine, the right venue, the energy of a workplace environment? There are so many factors that can open doors, lead you down a path and open your eyes to new skills and a rich career. But where does the drive to succeed come from? Bianca Johnson is a chef at Igni in Geelong, Victoria. Bianca, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on the show. You grew up in Tasmania, but you you made the move recently to Geelong, uh, to Igni, but uh, there's been pretty much a lockdown the whole time you've been there just about. What's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been an interesting start to my time there. Um, I'm feeling really excited to be at Igni. It is the reason that I did uh, jump ship over to the mainland from Tassie, um, but there has been a couple of false starts since I have been there. Um, we were an exposure site last week, so currently um, our full team is in isolation for two weeks but the times I have spent there has been really great but it's just been a little bit stop start at the moment which I know it has been for a lot of people as well. What did it feel like when you found out it was an exposure site did it have an impact on the staff? Well I feel like for me I coming from Tassie where you know it's been COVID free for such a long time for me I was like oh gosh this is such a huge deal and for everyone else especially Aaron he was like well we knew this was going to happen at some time I can't believe it's been this long um so I think they were really prepared and just wanted to help where they could um but it it hasn't felt like a huge deal to be honest what was it like for you leaving um Tasmania to go to Victoria during these times where there's some decisions to weigh up given the climate of the last year and a half? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Some people thought that I was crazy leaving the island at uh, her this time. And I guess I was naive to it in some sense. You are down there and the flow on effect of the pandemic and the lockdowns in Sydney and Melbourne is huge in Tassie, like for the hospitality there is an effect. It's not like we're just living down there full guns blazing. So you are aware of it, but not at all to the same extent. I kind of was naive when I moved here that, you know, Melbourne wasn't in lockdown. And then pretty quickly when I came, it did go into that lockdown that it's currently in. But being in Geelong regionally has been fine. And I don't really have that much to complain about seeing that, you know, it's taken, I feel like I've kind of done the pandemic backwards. Like it's definitely affected me now more than it did last year when I was in Tassie. You grew up in Hobart, Tasmania. Tell us about when you first started to get interested in food. Yeah. So I grew up in Tasmania and I was always really opinionated about the food that I ate, but I think I had a pretty typical uh, upbringing with food. My mum's a really great cook now, but um, when we were young, you know, she a, was a mum of three and it was really just about getting everyone fed. Um, so 
I always loved eating, but I guess my love for cooking came later. I was at uni, um, the University of Tasmania, studying business and science degree. And I was totally obsessed with cookbooks at that time. And I definitely still am today. And I guess that just translated into me talking about food all the time. And I talked to someone who had an apprenticeship opening. So I took that when I was partway through my degree and decided to drop the science and um, just did the business part-time online while I started my apprenticeship. And that was at a restaurant called Smolt, which was isn't around anymore. But in Hobart, that was part of one of the biggest restaurant groups at the time. And it was kind of I guess, known for training apprentices, like it was a good place to go and learn the fundamentals. And for me, I was incredibly green when I went to the kitchen. Like the most um, experience I'd had was working in a fish and chip shop um, on the waterfront. So I was lucky that I had the chance to, I guess, do those jobs over and over again until you are good at it. So my first year of my apprenticeship just looked like what I think a lot of people did, but it was bins and floors and picking parsley and dicing butter and breaking down wheels of Reggiano. So I, I, and I was hooked from the start though, even doing those things and trying to find a way to be efficient. I was like, yeah, this is, I was hooked from the start, which is great. Even with uh, the simplicity of your job at the start, you were hooked. What, what was it about a career in food that, that, that had you hooked? I think probably the things that motivated me back then are probably different to what motivate me now. Um, But back then, you know, the rush of it all and the busy kitchen and the how close knit you get with your team is what excited me. Um, But then I guess my time at Tom McHugo's um, shaped probably how I think about food and cooking and I guess a career in cooking now, which is quite different to what I saw it as back then. Well, tell us about your time at Tom McHugo's. Um, You mentioned it really shaped who you are as a chef. What was it about the experience there? Um, I think it directly was impacted by Tom and Whitney, who run Tom McHugo's there. Their stance on food and hospitality is really infectious. And as I said, it showed me that a career in cooking can mean so much more than just actually putting food on a plate. They're really passionate about supporting small-scale local growers and they completely opened my eye to that world. You know, when I first went there, I thought a cabbage was a cabbage and then I learned Tom showed me the way of how many cabbages and what you can do with a cabbage and now I would say cabbage is probably my favourite vegetable. But (laughs) right from the outset, Tom really gave me the ability to be creative there and under his guidance, my skills really accelerated. Um, we would always joke that we never wrote the word house made on the menu because you can just assume that literally everything is. And it's pretty rare for a pub to be in that way that, you know, it's from the whole animal butchery to the charcuterie to the misos and the fish sauce that were all made in house. And you just, you're not buying things from big suppliers and putting them together. You're I guess we took a lot of pride in that made from scratch mentality and so much of that stemmed from necessity. So a lot of our ferments, which Tom's really known for, um, would be from things that would normally hit the compost or the bin 
and we called them our projects and they were everywhere in the kitchen in every corner or nook or cranny there'd be something a new project happening so that could be sausages fermenting or delicata seeds drying to be blitzed with koji or you know an albacore worcestershire on the go which could be a couple of years old and that really gave us a pantry to call on for flavor and it just got me excited about food in a whole new way and I'm very grateful for that. You mentioned uh, whole animal butchery and charcuterie made on site. When was the first time that you got to explore whole animal butchery? Can you take us to that moment? What was it like for you? Yes, I remember it really vividly. It was, you know, my first couple of days, because at McHugo's we were getting one lamb, one pig, and when we could we would get, you know, a four-quarter of beef from two metre tall or something like that. But um, so it was something that you would see regularly. So you, you kind of, we were thrown in the deep end straight away and Tom was really good at showing you this is how we want it done. But I have this like really clear memory of, I think it was my second day at McHugo's or something. I was still really nervous and I was trying to debone a pig's head, which I'd never done before. And Forbes walked in, who's was the familiar at Franklin at the time. And, um, I didn't know him then. And he walked in and introduced himself and, offered me um, to taste the wine and then asked me what grape variety it was. And I just remember like looking up at Forbes and looking up at Tom and trying to like debone this pig's head and just feeling really out of my depth. But the more that you do it, I got pretty familiar with it pretty quickly, which was great. Tom's also known for the charcuterie and cheese making in the house. Is there any experiences that you had um, or challenges in making either of them? Yeah, definitely. Um, I hadn't done any cheese making before I went there, so that was really good to learn off him. And we did, we we were experimenting all the time, so there were things that were successful and the things that didn't work out. But it, we, Tom's really creative in the way that he's got one of those brains that I guess people envy that he can retain an insane amount of information. So he was always doing, you know, getting old broken down fridges and turning them into a cheese fridge or something like that and it was always hilarious when you would open it and the pub would just reek of like aging cheese but yeah I was excited to be open to the world of all those things I I had never even considered came along with a apprenticeship or a cooking career. You were named uh, the young chef of the year in 2019 tell us about the lead up to that and being involved in within that What, what, what was it like and what impact did it have on you? Yeah, I had a great experience with Appetite for Excellence. Um, I had competed in it the year before. I won it as well. Um, so the, I was competed the year before as well. And I found both years to be really valuable in the way that it, it forces you to think about what's important to you and your strengths and weaknesses in cooking and I guess a cooking identity outside the place you're working as well because I feel like that can often get really tied together. Um, and I remember the first year going and I didn't really know what that meant for me. And I felt like I cooked, I didn't cook very well. And I cooked some really confused food cause I was trying to figure that out. But then, you know, I went away and I was thinking about what I did enjoy. And, um, the second year I came back and had a great experience and it sounds really cliche cause everyone says it, but you enter these competitions to meet like-minded people. And I definitely did that, which was great. <laughs> Um, for example, 
um, you don't, you're not spending a huge amount of time with these people, but the time you do it in pretty close contact and the night before the last cook, um, the final cook that we had to do, I had washed my chef, my appetite for excellence chef's white with a Sharpie and it came out of the washing machine all splodgy and, you know, this was about 11 p.m. We'd cooked that day and they'd made it pretty clear that you, it's important that you have to wear these chef whites, these particular chef whites when you're competing because of sponsorship and things like that. And it was about 11 o'clock and I had to be cooking the next morning at 7 a.m. because I had to catch a flight back to Tassie. And so I made the decision just to leave it and go in with, a splodgy chef's white and I was feeling pretty stressed about it but went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and Daisy who was competing for the restaurateur of the year at the time she has um soy 38 in Adelaide had gone and bleached my chef white she'd been to the supermarket in the night to buy bleach bleached them washed them ironed it and had a note ready for me so you do make really close friendships in that time and yeah I remember just being so grateful that I could go in I was so proud walking in with my white chef whites Tell us about your cooking at that time. What did you cook and and what was your cooking like then? I'm definitely more influenced by peasant flavours than I am, I guess, fine dining flavours. And at that time, I wanted to show that and I felt my time at Tom McHugo's made me feel really comfortable in that. And so I, I remember the first round we had to cook pork and I chose to cook pork tongue because that was something that we had done quite a lot at the pub. Um, and I remember a lot of people being surprised by that, that that's what I had chose to cook. Um, and another thing that stands out that I cooked in the competition was um, the mandarin panna cotta that I cooked in the final and that stemmed from another thing that we do cook pretty frequently at the pub but that had stemmed from Tom's time at Garage East and Burjo had learnt that from Giorgio. So it was kind of definitely a recipe that had been passed and passed and passed and still like a very great recipe. Tell us about your connection with producers. I know that that was very important when you were at Tom McHugo's. How important is that for you and your progression as a chef? Yeah, that's definitely something I learned at Tom McHugo's um, to the extent that I was, I met Stan and Bry of Fat Carrot Farm and they're a supplier of Tom McHugo's and I built a great relationship with them. And in 2019, I started going down to their vegetable farm on one of my days off per week um, to learn their farming practices to enable me to cook in a more informed way. And I guess I feel like I'm echoing so many people that have been on your podcast to say that it's such an invaluable experience to to be able to do that. Um, For me, that meant my jobs down there included weeding and thinning and laying down mulch and compost And when I was lucky, I got to do the picking, which was definitely my favourite job. But being able to be at the pub and get a piece of corn and for me knowing how long that took Stan to grow or that, you know, that you only get two cobs of corn off each plant and how much space it takes up definitely gives you another appreciation, which was really important. But another thing I got from that time was that Stan from Fat Carrot Farm is actually an ex-chef, ex-scientist, now vegetable farmer and one of the most opinionated men I know. So after we would do the work on the farm, we'd come in and cook a meal together and it was definitely some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life. Um, he, My favourite was always his clay pot rice that he would sometimes serve with turkey or 
offal from the ducks that he'd raise and he's raising them for his consumption. Um, so I guess it's just the people that you least expect can actually have a huge effect on your cooking. So I felt really lucky to be able to experience cooking and sharing a meal at the place that it was grown. That connection that you fostered at Fat Carrot and the connection with the land, tell us about what impact that did have on your cooking. When, when you have the ingredients, is it a more considered experience? Does it change the way you cook? Definitely. It, it definitely has an effect. And I feel like that's one of the core values I got at my time at McHugo's and leaving there and choosing my next step. It was something that I wasn't really willing to compromise on that I I believe that restaurants should assist and work with producers opposed to demanding certain things or acting in a way that the farmers work for you. So picking the next place was difficult and I found I wasn't interested in going to a large restaurant that gets all its produce produce from a middleman and then calling it a seasonal menu. And I understand there's reasons that those restaurants exist, but after cooking at McHugh's, I wasn't really willing to do that. So I guess that brought me to wanting to work at Igni because I felt like they were really in line with that. And it's definitely somewhere I've always looked to as somewhere I've wanted to work. There's been a, a, quite a few hurdles and quite a few um, short starts to your career at Igni. Um, tell us about what it's been like so far, though, and, and what it's like to work with Aaron Turner. He's very quiet but incredibly respected and talented chef. Absolutely. Um, I feel really excited to be there, and it's definitely a different style of service I haven't experienced before. Um, when the pandemic hit, I was set to go to the UK um, to start at Lyles, and... I was seeking, I guess, that experience there in that style of service. But coming to Igni, definitely getting my head around a different way of cooking, but I'm enjoying it. I absolutely love having the fire in the centre of the kitchen and it means that it's not, you know, one person on grill, one person on this, one person on that. We're all working in a way that we're all cooking on the grill from one aspect and it's a small team and you're cooking for a small amount of people. So... It's great. I'm enjoying it so far, but unfortunately I just haven't had two consecutive weeks at it yet. We keep stop starting. What's it like cooking over fire with a team? Are there challenges? Um, what have you learned so far, even though it has been stop start? Yeah, it's definitely something I'm getting my head around and I haven't done a huge amount of. Um, Aaron said that's almost a good thing because then he can, you can build from the ground up with that. But I'm definitely learning a lot and the the number of ways that Aaron uses the fire is really impressive and it, I feel like most of the things that go on the Igni menu have had a touch of fire in one form or another and I feel like that's really impressive. Earlier on you mentioned what motivated you when you were younger is different to what does now. What is it that drives you now? I guess having that connection and that feeling that you're doing something bigger than you like I hate to – like obviously sustainability is a really difficult conversation, but for me I guess that comes down to where you draw the line and I feel really comfortable. My time at McHugo's has defined where I draw the line with sustainability and it gives you a feeling that 
you can have an impact on hospitality and how that affects sustainability. And I guess that's driving me at the moment and especially coming to a new place like Geelong and meeting new producers and learning how the important things in this area is a new challenge. Before you became a chef, you were doing a degree in business and sciences. Has your experience with that um, come into play with what you do now as a chef? To be honest, I wouldn't say it has hugely. um, I feel really grateful to have the business background, but I feel like it almost was something I probably could have skipped and gone straight to cooking. But in the way that I feel like I am an organised person and the things that I feel like cooking hasn't come really naturally to me, but the things that have come naturally to me in the kitchen are the organization, the ordering, the rostering, which is good because for some people that is difficult. But then I've just had to spend that extra time working on my ability to be a good chef, which is actually what I'm there to do. You mentioned that you were supposed to go to Lyles in the UK um, what was it about Lyles and the UK that had interested you? Um, I think, as I said, it was just somewhere that was held in a really high regard and I wanted to experience that style of service, which is obviously really different than the places I'd worked. Um, I was also planning on heading to Coomshead Farm, which is in Cornwall, and that was just on the recommendation of a friend and I feel like that kind of ties in with my experience at Fat Carrot Farm and the ability to cook and eat in a place where the food has been grown. Um, so, yeah, it definitely was a bit of a bummer that didn't go ahead. But, yeah, I feel super lucky I didn't get over there and get stuck there and have to come back. I know you're just getting started with your new role at Igni, but do you have an idea of what um, you'd like to do in the next stage of your career? I feel like it's really difficult to think too far in advance at the moment like if you'd asked me five years ago I wouldn't have told you I'd been Geelong I don't think but and especially coming out of a pandemic there's still one thing I learned when I was looking for a job is there's such a shortage of chefs at the moment that it just feels like a funny time in the industry to be planning what you want to do in the long term and for me that's always changing I'm always there's times where I'm thinking I'd love my own place and then there's times I'm thinking I never want my own place. So I can't say exactly what I want to do. And But at the moment I'm just excited to get stuck into Igni and, you know, enjoy having Melbourne just a stone's throw away and be able to go eat really good food on your days off and feel inspired in that way. Uh, Sydney and Canberra are starting to open up and the vaccination rates are very high. And there's also an opening date for Victoria as well, which is just around the corner. Uh, how are you feeling about um, opening now and, and moving forward? Is it, is it a lot more positive amongst the team? Yeah, everyone's feeling positive at Igni as far as I can tell. I guess it's daunting that you're just hoping that everything kind of goes to plan um, but we're excited for the the next stage that we can really sink our teeth into what we're doing and we are quite a new team at Igni now. There's a couple of new people in the kitchen, a couple of new people front of house, so we're just excited to be able to work together and figure out what we can do. 
you um, fell into to cooking uh, while doing a degree and, and followed that um, followed that path. What is it that you love about being a chef? There's a lot that I love about being a chef. I like to, the repetition of it. I like the broad scope of it that I don't feel like you could ever get bored because it, there's, it's not possible to master it. There's so many aspects to it. So as I said, I'm really obsessed with cookbooks and I like that because by looking at them, I look at different stages of my career and what I was interested in at those certain times. You know, I have heaps of baking books from when I was doing baking and then in my earlier days I was just really interested in books like Chez Panisse and Zuni Cafe but now later I'm more interested in cookbooks that are of a certain thing. So, you know, David Ash's cheese making book or a book that is just on fermenting sausages or so I guess it's always changing but I'm still excited by cooking and definitely want to do it for a long time. You'll be back in the kitchen very soon at Igni and the doors will open. Um, and it's been such a stop start situation for you. What are you really looking forward to with the role? I'm looking forward to being able to be creative again and I guess just learn more. I'm excited to expand on my knowledge of what I already have and learn about from Aaron about being a good leader and what that involves so I can one day do that in the way that I've had the ability to work under so many good leaders. I'm just excited to work hard, I guess. It's been a funny year for me. I finished at the pub early April and I was really fortunate that I've had some really good experiences while I have had that time deciding what I want to do next. Um, I was able to work the agrarian kitchen and I was also able to work with Annalise Gregory quite closely. Um, she's built a really exciting life for herself and she's probably the busiest person I know, so she's always got something going on. And in those couple of months that I was with her, we went to Rockhampton in Queensland. We went to Adelaide in South Australia. We got to go to WA for truffles where we saw you. We got to do dark mofo events and cook on a private island. So I felt really fortunate to have those opportunities and at other places in Hobart to be able to expand on what I've done while deciding what I want to do next. And I feel like with Annalise, I built a really good friendship over that time. And so it was even just the time that we spent talking and eating food and talking about food, I guess, that was as valuable as working on the line with her. Well, Bianca, you've got all of it in front of you and hopefully the doors at Igni open very soon. I uh, would loved having to, you on Deep in the Weed today to hear just a bit of your story. There's so much of it to come. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks so much for the chat. I appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.